How many are ready to get into the Word this morning? Are you? Are you ready to get into the message this morning? It's a tough one. I'm the first one to say it. You're, some of you guys haven't shown up in a few weeks and you came for the tough one. Uh, that's all right. That's, I'm glad you're here. Amen. Look around. We're kind of jammed this morning a little bit. That's a good thing. Amen. Man, I know there's still people at home. Oh, by the way, full disclosure, my wife is at home and she will be home this week and next week. So uh, without going into, well, I can just tell you, she uh, on Friday, she was at school. She works as a secretary in the school. Somebody went home, not feeling well. They tested positive for coronavirus. And so the health department came and told my wife to, uh, uh, what do they call it? Quarantine. Thank you. Uh, I had it in the edge of my mind right there. Uh, so to tell her to quarantine. So she's been living in our basement. Uh, we throw some scraps down there every once in a while. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. No, no, it's, it's, it's fine. So. Uh, she's been in our basement, kind of quarantined away from me and the kids for uh, since Wednesday, and then um, she's not allowed to go back to work until next week, Monday. So, just so you know, yes, we are here. There's no symptoms. There's no nothing. Have no fear. Amen. Amen. So uh, we still want to practice some sort of social distancing, um, but you know what? We're getting through this. Amen. We are getting through this, and I believe that eventually, hopefully sooner than later, we'll come out the other end. When we come out the other end of COVID-19, we want to continue to do the ministries of this church that are impactful, not to just this body, but the community, right? And so we want to continue to do the closet. We want to continue to do nursery ministry and children's ministry. Uh, but in order to do those things, we need people. All right, we cannot do it on our own. Just the leadership of the church cannot do it on their own. We need you guys. And so we need teachers and leaders. If you're interested in serving in our children's ministry, in our nursery ministry, the children's ministry, very easy. There's a, a, a packet that's laid out for you with Bible verses and whatnot, good teaching stuff. And then with our nursery ministry, Jenny, you want to raise your hand? Uh, you guys all know Jenny, of course. But uh, if you want to volunteer for our nursery ministry or if you have a child that's in the nursery, uh, of course, then you would be serving alongside uh, so talk to Jenny, and uh, we'll get those things, get names on the list so that when we're able to do these things and we're able to do them safely, which we want to do, then we'll have people and people ready to go. Amen? Amen. Before we get started with the message this morning, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you for your wisdom and for your grace. Lord, I thank you for uh, even as going through commentary and going through the Bible and literature and all the things that go into the message, I thank you for the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would use me this morning as a vessel. Pour out from me what you have poured in. That those who are here, that they would hear it, that they would hold on, hold to them, that, that they would take it home with them and to their friends and their loved ones, that they would share the truth of your word. We thank you and praise you for your word this morning. Let it be a light to us in the darkness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we are going to continue in our teaching on the seven churches in Revelation. So last week, we covered two churches. We covered Ephesus and Smyrna. Say Smyrna. Good word. I like it's it's a fun word to say. We learned that these were believers who Jesus spoke to through the apostle John, 
who is also known as John the Revelator. I like that name. In Ephesus, we saw a church that was pure in doctrine. How many remember this last week? They were pure in doctrine, and they were pure in their belief, but they had lost their passion. They had lost their zeal. They had lost, what, according to John, their first love, right? So they looked good on the outside. They looked good. They had a great testimony to those around them, but there was something missing on the inside. What was missing on the inside was that first love. Their fire was gone. Jesus called them to repentance. And so we talked about the word repent. And what does that mean? What does the word repent mean? The word repent carries a weight with it that is associated with shame. But keep this in mind that shame never produces liberty. Shame never produces liberty. What is, to, what is repent? What does it mean? It means simply this. With, with emotion or absent from emotion, it means turning 180 degrees and going the other way. To repent means to turn away from my sin. With or without emotion, if you have emotion, that's fantastic. You're responding to the Holy Spirit, moving on your life. But if you have no emotion and you still repent, that's still good. All right? Shame never produces liberty. I grew up in a home and a community that was filled with shame. If you grew up in a religious household, Heidi, do you know what I'm talking about? Heidi, Heidi and I kind of grew up in the same type of communities that are very religious, very rule-oriented. Not that rules aren't a good thing, right? Not that, not that boundaries aren't a good thing. They are. But there's a difference between religion and relationship, right? And so when you have all these religious things, so for instance, we talked about, I talked about this before, where if you mowed your lawn on a Sunday, uh-oh, you in trouble. <laughs> that's, it, was good, it was a good thing. If you mowed your lawn on a Sunday, that's, we knew you didn't know Jesus, so we, we could go and then witness to you. So that was powerful. Uh, no, but that's the kind of stuff I grew up in. If you do anything, any kind of thing on a Sunday, uh, boy, you're in trouble. You better watch what you say, watch what you watch, watch what you drink, watch what you do. All these different things that put shame upon people, and it didn't lead them to liberty. All it led them to do was try to hide it, right? Shame never produces liberty. It keeps you away from sin for a short time, but then ultimately you go back to that. Let the driving force of repentance, listen to this, let the driving force of repentance be gratitude for the incredible love and grace that God has given us to pursue righteousness even when we have messed up. Amen? Even when we have messed up. How many messed up before? How many messed up this last week? Come on. <laughs> That's all right. Some people are like, two hands, mm -mm, messed up. The church of Ephesus is called to repent, and we are so glad we learn that they eventually repent. We're glad when there's repentance, amen? It means people can pursue righteousness with God. In Smyrna, we see a totally different type of church. In Smyrna, we see a church that, had, that, is, that is known by its poverty. It's known by its suffering. And Jesus encourages them to stand strong in the faith even when faced with death. Because 
We learned, of course, about Polycarp. We heard this awesome, incredible testimony of the man named Polycarp who was martyred for his faith. And, of course, the uh, testimony of those even today who are being martyred for their faith. It's not just an ancient problem. It's a modern problem. People being martyred or killed for the faith. We were reminded that our faith takes sacrifice. And that when we find ourselves in suffering, listen to this carefully, Jesus is there with us. From the depths of a Nazi concentration camp, Corey Ten Boom wrote these words. No matter how deep the darkness, my God is deeper still. No matter how deep, from the, I mean, from you're in World War II, you're in a concentration camp, you're in the worst of the worst. But no matter how deep my darkness, my God is deeper still. We don't lose faith in persecution. We don't lose faith in suffering. We find strength in knowing where our peace and comfort and glory truly lies. Amen? It lies in our living hope this morning. This week, I want to take a look at two churches. It was going to be three, but I didn't have time. It really was going to be three. I was like, yep, I can do three churches and I can get it done. And as I started going into Pergamum and Thyatira, uh, I wanted to get into the church called Sardis, but we're not going to be able to get there today. We will get there next week. The churches today are Pergamum, also called Pergamos, and Thyatira. Say Thyatira. It's a good one, huh? Mac, you like that name? Thyatira. It's a good name. It's interesting. Pergamum, Thyatira. There are clear warnings in the, for the modern church and what we have allowed into the modern church. And listen, if it's not our church, that's awesome, right? Listen, some of the stuff that's told to these churches, we're glad it's not our church. Amen? Come on. Amen? We don't want our church to be messed up, right? How many know that's a good thing? We don't want our church to be messed up. And so it's awesome if the things that are addressed don't specifically apply to us, but it's important to understand that what Jesus spoke to them and for them and what we as a church have to be mindful of to not let into our church. Because if we aren't careful, the enemy will sneak in. That's what he does. So we start in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 2, and we start with the church in Pergamum. Verse 12, it's, uh, we, we are using a new program. Uh, actually, everybody, do me a favor. Take a look around. Take a, turn around uh, and look in the back. We have a nice TV there set up. So it, it tells me what time I need to let you go home. So that's always a nice thing. Uh, one o'clock? That's fantastic. Okay. So, uh, no. But we have a new program uh, in our display. So uh, we might go through a couple of slides to get through what the verses that I have here. So we're going to start with verse 12 and moving forward. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Listen, these are good things. You hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. 
But I have a few things against you, and, and, and listen to this carefully. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Verse 15, so also some of you, so, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We learned about the Nicolaitans last week. Uh, they were full of indulgence. We remember Jesus, uh, the Lord is saying that he hated these, the, those people who were teaching the Nicolaitans and were taking part in that. But thankfully, uh, you know, here's the thing. God is giving them warning. God is giving them direction. We will see that these churches are placed in culturally large, developed cities and incredibly sinful cities. Jesus' words to Pergamum start off strong with a description of the two-edged sword. Uh, it harkens back to when we look at Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It says this. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active or powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we talk about the sword of the spirit, or we talk about the two-edged sword coming out of the mouth of God, God gets right to the heart of the matter to the joints and the marrow, the division of soul and spirit, that when God speaks into our life, there is a cutting that takes place. How many know it is not comfortable to be cut? Right? How many know that sometimes you have to be cut in order to bring about healing? If you've had surgery, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to be cut in order to bring about healing. And so the message this morning, while it's a tough one, there's some cutting to it. Keep in mind that when we talk about the two-edged sword, it's a sword that cuts going in and heals coming out. So there's correction given. And we talked about correction last week. And we talked about parents and correcting and why they do this, because it's a good thing. To be introduced this way, to the church of Pergamum is Jesus' way of saying, there are some things you need to be, that you need cut off of your life. There are some things that you need to be divided away from. And so as the Spirit of the Lord speaks to the church in Pergamum, we're taking the magnifying glass to our own soul and saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to my soul. Speak to my lifestyle. There are some things that need to be cut off of and divided away from you. In Pergamum's case, listen to this, there's a, a few really, really not good, bad offenses. So the first reference is the story of Balaam and Balak. It's found in the book of Numbers, and we're not going to get into the story of Balaam and Balak, and so here's what Jesus is saying. Just like them in that time, just like them in that time, you have many in the church not just living in a city filled with idols and sexual immorality, but participating in it. 
not just living in it, but participating in it. And let's be clear, at that time and in that city, temptation was everywhere. It was everywhere. Jesus refers to the city they live in as Satan's throne. He says, I know where you live. You're in Satan's throne. How many know if that's the, na- if that's the name God gives to the city, that's not a good sign? I could, I could name off cities this morning, and some of you, you might go, yep, Satan's throne right there. <laughs> that's Satan's throne. If I listed uh, Las Vegas, some people say, yep, Satan's throne. There you go. Good buffets, but Satan's throne, right? As some of you, uh, some of you would say the same about Seattle. Satan's throne right now. Satan's throne. Some of you would say the same. I would say the same about New Orleans. Fantastic food. Satan's throne. Just a darkness that covers the city. Right, Kay? You guys have been there. Just, there's just a darkness that covers the city. When you leave there, you feel just like you're, you've been, a burden's been lifted. It's a city filled with occultism and, and voodoo and witchcraft. It's just, I mean, there's a heaviness, dark presence that covers the city. Satan's throne. Jesus refers to the city as Satan's throne. And and so let's explain what is happening in that culture, in that city, in that time. Sexual immorality is rampant. I mean rampant. Listen, it was in every part of Roman culture. It invaded nearly every aspect of Roman life. Rape, prostitution, inbreeding, sexual slavery, rampant homosexuality, perversions of every kind. They were not just embraced, they were celebrated. They were celebrated. And trust me, when you go and look into the history of Rome and you look into what the, the soldiers were doing and what the kings or what the, what the Caesars, what the leaders were doing, I'm telling you, it was a horrible, horrible place for a Christian to be. They were living in the city and at times were taking part in those things. For anybody to not take part in those activities was labeled as a strange outsider. In fact, there's a, uh, I want to say it was Cicero. I would have to go back and look at the commentary, but Cicero was talking about why people wouldn't engage in these things. Why wouldn't you engage in this, in the pleasures of life? And why wouldn't you engage in having these partners and doing these sexual immoral things? Why wouldn't you do those things? There was no understanding of those who wouldn't participate. Listen, I want to say this very carefully. The Bible is clear, and Jesus is very clear, that sexual immorality has no place in the life of the believer. It has no place in the life of the believer. Now, I want to say this as well. If you're in sexual immorality this morning, I have to be very clear. The Lord loves you. We love you. We as a church love you, and we love you enough to tell you the truth in love of God's word that you may repent or turn away from that which leads to destruction. Amen? We as a church love you. God loves you, and so we talk to you about God's word, not to harp on these things, but to show you that God brings correction to these things, that the Lord loves you, that we love you, that you may repent and turn away from that sin and pursue righteousness. And people say, well, you're talking about homosexuality this morning. No, I'm not. 
I mean, we could. That's an easy target. But a lot of times in the church, we are guilty of only focusing on homosexual sins without focusing on heterosexual sins too, right? So let's talk about some things here. I know this is, you know, uh, (laughs) listen, if you're engaged, sexually engaged with somebody outside of marriage, the Bible says that's sin. If you're sexually engaged with someone outside of marriage, that is sin. The Lord loves you, we love you, and we love you enough to tell you the truth this morning. There's men and women that struggle daily with pornography. You say, that's just a male issue. No, that's a men and women issue. A struggle with pornography. It's a battle of the mind. It's a battle of the spirit. It can destroy your soul and your relationships. And just like Jesus calls the church in Pergamum to repent, he calls us to repent and pursue righteousness in our lives. Not because he's a prude and doesn't want us to have any fun, but because he loves us and wants us to celebrate the joys of sexuality in a biblical way. Amen? That's why he does it. If you're not sure what the Bible says about sexuality, it says a great many things. And I understand there's kids in the audience, and we're going to be careful about that. But, hey, listen, the Bible celebrates sexuality. The Bible celebrates the joys of marriage. Look at Song of Solomon. Read Song of Solomon sometimes. Uh, sometime, Sometime we might go through a study of the Song of Solomon. Not all of it, Bobby. Her eyes just got really wide. Uh, but man, there's some really good stuff that the Bible talks about just about celebrating within the covenant of marriage. The joys of what God has given us. You said, Pastor David, this isn't really like a sunshine and rainbows type message this morning. No, I understand there might not be a great vibe to it, but I have to tell you, in reality, this is very much a sunshine and rainbows type message. In reality, it's this. The sunshine is coming from God loving us enough to correct us, to shine a light down, to correct us and guide us into righteousness and relationship. It's not to beat you up. It's to help you grow. Amen? It's not to beat you up. It's to help you grow. The Lord loves you. We love you. And we love you enough to tell you the truth. There's plenty of churches you can go to where they will sugarcoat it or gloss over it. There's plenty of places you'll go to that they will celebrate sinful lifestyles. We will celebrate the truth of God's word in this house. Unequivocally, without apology. The truth of God's word is so important in our lives. And when we're giving, when we are given as the people of God, when we are given a false message or a false truth, when we are given lies, about God's word, what he stands for, what he loves, and what he hates. All it does is a disservice to us. All it does is hurt us in the long run. Listen, it is not to put you down in any way. It is that you would be lifted up by his grace and by his mercy and by his forgiveness this morning. Amen? Here's what he says to the church in Pergamum in Revelation 2, 16 and 17. It says, therefore, repent. Therefore, repent. Remember, repent. Turn 180 degrees, go the other way. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth, that two-edged sword, remember? Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
This is going to be a common theme. Remember, it's going to be in every church. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the one who conquers or overcomes, I will give him some, this is interesting, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone so that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, according to David Guzik in his commentary, it says this. I like, this is very interesting. In the ancient world, the use of a white stone had many associations. So what was a white stone for? A white stone would be a ticket to a banquet. Listen to this. This is, this is what the Lord says. Verse 17, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written in the stone so that no one knows except the one who receives it. So the white stone could be a ticket to a banquet, a sign of friendship, evidence of having been counted, or as a sign of acquittal in a court of law. Man, I don't know about you, that gets me excited. A sign of acquittal in a court of law, an invitation to a banquet, an invitation to friendship. The Lord says, when you repent from these things, I will give you an invitation to friendship. I will give you an invitation to the banquet. I will, there will be acquittal in the court of law. Isn't that powerful? This morning, when you look at it, you say, Pastor David, you're, you're kind of beating me up. I mean, we're talking about sexual immorality, and I got this stuff going on my wife. I don't know what to do. Listen, the Lord wants to bring you to repentance. Not to beat you up, but so that you would have friendship and relationship and acquittal and be welcome to the banquet this morning. Amen. This brings us now, that's the end of, that's the end of that church in Pergamum, but we are going to the church in Thyatira. Now, oh, it's 11.31 a.m. The church in Thyatira. We are going to be going through this one a little bit more quickly. But that is because they have many, if not all, of the same issues as the church in Pergamum. Uh, but I do want to focus specifically on one more of the issues that are spoken of. So it says this in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. The words of the Son of God. Listen carefully. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, verse 19, your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her, verse 21, time to repent. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So what we didn't get into with the church in Pergamum was the issue of false teaching and false teachers. And so here we have the opportunity to see this at play in Thyatira, along with idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, keep in mind, the church has some good things going for it. 
right? Church has some good things. Love, faith, service, patient endurance. Those are good things in a church. I hope that we're known as a church who loves. Amen? I want us to be known as a church that loves. A church that has faith, that that is full of service, that has patient endurance. But in the middle of this church, there is something going on. In the middle of the church in Thyatira, there is a false teacher at play, and the consequences for her and her followers would be disastrous. And I mean really, really disastrous. Go to the next slide. Or go to the next scripture. It says this in verse 22. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Go to the next slide. This is where it gets a little, and I will strike her children dead. This is an Old Testament. Amen? This is an Old Testament. This is New Testament. The God of grace and peace and love and hallelujah, Jesus. He's coming back on a white horse. Come on. Listen, when he comes back, he's coming back in, in power and glory. Not messing around anymore. And it says this, I will strike her children dead, the, the, the children of Jezebel. She's referring to those who become children through her teachings. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches, listen to this, he searches mind and heart. I like that. Jesus searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. According to your works. Now, we're going to get into some interesting stuff here. In case you weren't prepared for it, it's here we see a clear judgment of God. It is The language is purposeful. It is descriptive. The reason it's so strong is because of this woman that's in the church named or referred to as Jezebel. Now, it's likely that this woman uh, wasn't really named Jezebel but was referred to as a Jezebel because that is a name that is not associated with anything good. How many ever heard the name Jezebel before? How many know that is not a good name? The name Jezebel is not a good name. I like what this commentary says. The name Jezebel has a powerful association. If we called someone a Judas or if we call someone a Hitler, it has clear implications, right? So if we say, call someone out and call him Judas, listen, how many know Judas and Hitler are not on the baby name registry, right? Bryce, you know what I'm talking about? That's not something you thought of, right? Right, I'm guessing Jezebel isn't on that, isn't on that list either. So most of the time, you know what, uh, there is a, I don't know why this is, there is a, uh, how many know what the name Lucifer means? What's that, Matt? means light, right? So uh, there was a couple who was seriously considering, I I believe they may have named their child Lucifer and then just called him Luke. Not suggested. Not suggested. There's certain names that now you just associate Judas, Hitler, Lucifer would be among them, and Jezebel. Jezebel is associated with the most, one of the most evil characters in the Old Testament. One of the most evil characters, she attempted to combine the worship of Israel with the worship of the idol Baal, 
And she herself is what the commentary says had the most unenviable record of evil. Manipulation and evil. So who was this woman? Who was the woman talked about in the church of Thyatira? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that she is spreading incredibly false doctrine among the believers and leading them towards idolatry and adultery or sexual immorality. The crazy thing here is this. You want to hear something nuts? There's speculation among Greek, Greek scholars that Jezebel is a reference to the pastor's wife. My wife is at home right now watching this. Hi, honey. Should I go further? <laughs> There's a bunch of women like, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I told my wife I was going to tell her that. Listen, the pastor's wife is who it's speculated about is that this was the Jezebel that Jesus is referring to. Someone with influence in the church. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that's what the speculation is. So regardless of who she was, it's, a, it's clear that she was a leader in the church. And that as much as Jesus gave her opportunities to repent, she simply would not repent. How many, how many know somebody like that? That opportunity after opportunity after opportunity is given, and yet they don't accept the forgiveness of Jesus. They, don't, they're never, they're, they never take the opportunity to turn away from their sin. They continually go for it. And this is the interesting thing, is she was on a mission. This Jezebel was on a mission, and she was on a mission from the enemy. She refers to herself as a prophetess or a woman prophet. She used her influence and her title to lead those in the church away from God in incredibly evil ways. Now, historically, for me, I've had experiences in my church history in almost 20 years of church ministry. I've had experiences with at least two women who I would refer to as Jezebel. And I understand the implications of that name, Peg. I understand the implications of that name and what it means and the weight that it carries. I remember when I was in Bible college, um, I, was, I was there, I was, I was in front of a classroom and, and it hadn't started yet, so we were outside walking on the grass and talking to each other and stuff. And so I'm in college and this, this, this girl comes up and they were, I don't know what was said or why it was said, but eventually she got called Jezebel, like as a joke. Somebody said, oh, uh, Jezebel. And I remember the look on her face and just, the smile just draining or running away from her. And she just said, do you have any idea what that name means? And so I remember vividly how this girl just was almost broken by this person jokingly calling her something that had, it would be like if somebody was calling somebody Hitler, calling somebody Judas. It had crazy implications for her. And so I remember looking this up and, and saying, man, what is it? I mean, really, what is Jezebel? I've had experiences with two women. Now, historically, that name is applied to women, but make no mistake, and I want, to hear, I want you to hear this clearly, that type of spirit can operate in a man as well. Okay, so it's not just a woman issue, and I don't want you to think, oh, Pastor David, this is a woman issue. It's not a woman issue. 
All right, this is a spirit issue. This is a sin issue. It's a manipulation issue. And if we let those kind of things into the church, Jesus is going to give us direction on how to correct and bring those things back into righteousness. The important thing that we should see in the church in Thyatira is not to allow these things to take root, especially not in our lives and not in our church. Amen? One commentary said this, that it's likely that her influence was over just a small part of the church. But it's true that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or in a more understandable way, it takes just a little evil running wild to infect everything around it. It takes just a little bit of evil running wild to eventually affect everything about it. The church in Thyatira is being given a strong warning against letting this continue. For to do so would be their downfall, right? And so let us never allow false teaching to grab a foothold in our services. Let us never allow false teaching to become a foothold in our life because it can lead to destruction. Now, again, I'm so grateful that that is not an issue within this church. When false teaching does come forward, it is addressed or it is, it is talked about, it is moved upon, but we don't let that fester. We don't want there to be a foothold in that. And so that is why I'm very careful as the pastor about who fills the pulpit, about who preaches on Sunday mornings, because I am aware of the responsibility that God has given me over this house and over the message or the word that comes from here. Another way to say it is this. There are churches that have allowed false teaching into their bodies and into their denominations and into their buildings and, and as a part of their structure. My prayer is that they would come to repentance. My prayer is that they would be corrected and preach the truth of God's word. One of the things I love about the personality and the character of Christ is his emphasis on the importance of purity and holiness. I want you to listen to this very carefully. Jesus tells this Jezebel's followers that he searches mind and heart and will give to each of them punishment according to their works. Another way of saying that is this. Don't think that he doesn't know the evil that lies within. Don't think that you've escaped his sight with your sin. Don't think, oh, 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 I did that in secret. Nobody knows. No, the Lord knows. Come on. You know what I'm saying this morning? The Lord knows and understands what you've been doing and what you've been going through. Understand that we are not saved by our works, but our works are an indication of our salvation. Amen? Listen, I like this is interesting because our works are an indication of our salvation. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, salvation is what? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? There's nothing that we could do to earn it. 
There's nothing we could do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to deserve it. Nothing. But once we have accepted Christ, once we have accepted salvation, once we have been brought into the fold, it would seem appropriate that there are aspects of your life that the Holy Spirit will work on and move on, and then you, you will start to do things out of your salvation. Not that the works equal salvation, but that the works come out of our salvation. Out of our salvation will flow good works. And out of our, listen to this, if we have adultery with Jezebel, that's adultery with false teaching. If, if we connect with false teaching, it would be our rejection of Jesus. And out of that would flow bad works. Jesus is calling the church of Thyatira out of their bad works. He's giving warning to the whole church because of the sin of a few. It would be as if, uh, Bobby. I found out Bobby, Gary, and Jenny, <laughs> the Hanson family. Not all of the Hanson family, just a short, just a small subsection of the Hanson family. Subsection, yes, that's <laughs> the word I used. If we found out that just a small subsection was involved in something nefarious. Good word, right? SAT word right there. Uh, if we found out that they were involved in something untoward or something evil, if they, now of course, that would never happen, right? That wouldn't happen, right, Gary? I pray. <laughs> it would never happen, right? But listen, he's given, so we find out there's a sin of just a few, but Jesus speaks to the whole church. Because the whole church is keeping accountability for the few. And then he says this to those who aren't following Jezebel. He says this to those who are, if we have those over here, a small subsection, and then we have the rest, Jesus then speaks to the rest. And he says this, verse 24, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, false teaching, is the deep things of Satan. Do you hear me this morning? False teaching is the deep things of Satan. Those who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. Verse 26, the one who conquers or overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the authority over the nations. Verse 27, and he will rule, rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It brings us to the end of chapter 2. It brings us to the end of chapter 2. Stand with me this morning, will you? Carol, if you want to go ahead and prepare the communion this morning. How many know Revelation is no joke? Right? Revelation is no joke. It is a lot to take in. And listen, I know there's only so much we can digest at once. I know there's really only so much we can digest at once. But I want to encourage you this morning to again turn that magnifying glass not away from you, but towards you. Not a way looking at other people or other churches, but towards you.
and towards us. Saying, Lord, I want to live in righteousness. Show me what I need to repent of. So this morning, before we take communion, I'd like you to pray with me this morning. If you would, let's bow our heads together. Lord, search me. Lord, you know my heart and my mind. You know where we have fallen short, and you know where we need to be lifted up. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to repentance and guide us towards righteousness with you. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within within me, within us. Lord, let us serve you with purity and holiness. Jesus, yours is the name above every other name. Yours is the living hope. Yours is the roaring lion this morning. We pray all of this in your holy, righteous, and loving name. Amen.